0: Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, an independent RPG podcast. I'm your host, Cat Bailey. Joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia
1: Oxford. Hello, Kat. I would like to announce that I got my second shot. So I think that means I am clear to kiss raccoons that are rabbit or something. I don't know. I'm just glad I got it. Hooray. Well done. Well done indeed. Yeah, I got it at a hockey read. I'm sure you appreciate that. Are you team Pfizer or team Moderna? I'm team both. I started with uh, Pfizer and they gave me Monderta at the end. Well, whatever. As long as you got some kind of protection. You got that crazy hybrid protection. I got the hybrid protection. I'm going to turn into like a cool werewolf or something. Oh, man, that would be way too cool. Then I would (laughs) want both of them just to have that happen. I mean, who wouldn't? Come on, no, I'm glad I, I'm I'm vaccinated, and uh, it'll be a little while before you know the the antibodies kick in. And I had 24 hours of a fever, and I tried to find the thermometer, and it turns out my cat kills thermometers, so eh, I got through it. How much higher would the vaccination rate be worldwide if you said, "But no, you will turn into a cool vampire or a cool werewolf if you get uh, both shots"? You wouldn't have to worry about the young people. They'd all get it in two seconds. Absolutely. Holy cow. and I mean, hell, I'm not even that young. I'd get it. (laughs) Well, speaking of, well, I I don't think there are any werewolves
0: in this, so it's a bad segue, but whatever. We'll just roll with (laughs) it.
1: We'll run with it.
0: This week we are talking about Monster Hunter Stories 2. We're going to have special guest from IGN, Casey DeFritis, on to help us out. We already recorded the episode, so that was a lot of fun. And of course, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about all the news and what we're playing and everything else. It's
1: been a busy week in the
0: realm of RPGs, Nadia.
1: It was a strange week. Like I said, I had my shot, so time kind of went in and out there for a little bit. But we had the state of play. We had uh, the Nintendo Switch quote unquote news. We'll get into that. So, yeah, it was strangely quiet. It's somehow busy. Yes.
0: Well, before that, we'll get into a little bit of housekeeping. Of course, if you enjoy the show, please do us a favor. Leave us a review on the podcatcher of your choice. I'm on Twitter at the underscore capot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. The podcast itself is on the Twitter at Bloodgod Pod. And of course, you can find it on Instagram too at Blood God Pod. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Blood God Pod with various premium episodes. Now you're launching a Final Fantasy XIV series in just two days. What did you decide to call it?
1: <laughs> We're calling it Charlian Dropouts. And I don't know if you're gonna get that, but basically, Charlian nope. is a big sort of academic organization/slash town slash continent in the world of Final Fantasy XIV. They're not quite isolationist, but they are very stuck up academic and they have a whole very, very strict neutral, uh, keeping neutral policy, even as the Garland Empire ravages all of Eorzea. They stay out of everything and there's actually they're going to be the focus of Endwalker because they still want to keep out of everything and the world's coming to an end. So I think you've you, I don't know if you've seen the uh, the, the trailer for Endwalker, but you, you have a part where you stole the cat lady is like scolding the people of Charlie and saying you have to get involved in this and they're like, no, we're not doing it. So I just figured, okay, the idea of being in a Charlie and dropout, a dropout from this prestigious school was pretty funny. So <laughs> Victor Victor Hunter, who is one of my guests on the show alongside Mike Williams, he came up with a name. So all credit to him.
0: Well I have some good news for Final Fantasy 14 fans out there. The Final Fantasy 14 podcast will be available to everybody the first episode at least this week on wednesday so you'll be able to listen to it on the free feed and then after that we are going to make it more of a well you'll still be able to listen to it on the free feed but you'll have to wait a week to be able to access it so patreon patreon listeners will be able to get access to the final fantasy 14 podcast a week early and ad free like the rest of the weekly episodes okay let's get on to what we have been playing our sacrifices to the blood
1: god well As we are going to be discussing in great depth in this episode, I was playing Monster Hunter Stories 2, really enjoying it, but I already spent all my words on the game, so you'll have to listen in a bit to really get my opinions on it. So I've been playing that for the most part, though. I've been mostly playing old stuff, Nadia. You slid back into the pit of old nostalgia.
0: Yeah, it's just I only play old games anymore. Uh, specifically, I've been playing the TIE Fighter Total Conversion on Action yeah. Alliance, which is not an <laughs> RPG. Can't even make an argument about it, but I've been really digging it.
1: I just love it when I fall into a fan game and it turns out to be, like, professional grade or or a fan mod or something. Like, that's always, to me, one of the, the coolest feelings. Like, another another Metroid 2 remake was, was absolutely fantastic. So I'm glad that this is, like, a, a similar experience for you. It has... Quirks from X Wing Alliance,
0: still, which itself is a 22 year old game. I know the AI quirks and all the weird things about that game, like inside and out. I've put literally thousands of hours into these games. I'm not joking. And Goodness. so, like, it's all come flooding back when I've been playing TIE Fighter, but they really enhanced the graphics. It looks so impressive. They remixed some of the m- missions, and honestly, they're a lot better than they were before. Uh, they included a lot of stuff from TIE Fighter, including the cutscenes.
1: They redid the, the freaking soundtrack. It's so good, Nadia. So basically, they're taking this old experience that you've known like practically by instinct now and making it a whole new thing. That's really exciting. What's funny is that the first couple of battles
0: are, like, the hardest in the game. Like, it actually gets a lot easier after you get through those battles, but you are in these huge fights, these huge firefights, and you're flying around in a tiny little TIE fighter, and you feel like just a little tin can flying out there that if (laughs) anybody breathes on you, you're going to die, so... I mean, it's like the, seat, the feeling of flying by the seat of your pants is really intense and really fun, especially compared to Star Wars Squadrons, where you do actually have quite a bit more armor and that kind of thing. You won't die immediately. But in uh, TIE Fighters, it's like if you get two hits, boom, you are dead, dead. So there's no margin <laughs> for error.
1: That is terrifying. Even the very constant of being in a little tin thing in, in space and it being able to rupture it with like someone takes a pin to it. That's just, uh, well, you have fun with that. On the
0: RPG side, I've been still playing Fantasy Star for our monthly game club leading
1: up to the next Pantheon episode. Actually pretty digging it, Nadia. It's a very diggable RPG, for lack of a better term, isn't it? It's has a, a certain comforting solidness to it that, like I said, M2 did a, a fantastic job making it more playable for the modern era. But yeah, it's I found it a very enjoyable RPG. I was surprised almost.
0: What I found funny was that you had the little kitty cat following you when you yeah. fish. Uh, when you first um, meow. When now. you first uh, recruited, and then you get Odin, and you got the whole party following behind you. And all I could think was, man, it's 2021. Pokemon doesn't really do this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, you you can in the expansions, the Pokemon. Not Finally, all of them, actually. They didn't do it in the Sword <laughs> sort Shield. Of it's so hit and miss. Or as Fantasy Star, like well, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, that was actually a really impressive bit of technology for the time. They did it And the in... cat animates really nicely. It does, doesn't it? The whole thing yeah. just looks very good. It sounds very good, too. There is some mm. tension over the soundtrack. I know there's different versions of it, FM synthesis, uh, regular. I don't know exactly the whole details of the, of the Sega sound chip, but I like the fact that M2 lets you switch between them. I like the more FM-enhanced version, but some people swear by the original, so it's up to you. There's one more game that I'm keeping my eye on, and this was highly recommended to me by my boss over
0: at IGN, Joe Scrubbles. And he was like, play Wildermyth. And I was like, "Okay, what is Mm. Wildermyth? So it's this game that came out on Steam a month ago. It's been getting rave reviews. It got a rave review from uh, PC Gamer. It got an Essential from Eurogamer. So basically it's this XCOM style tactics RPG where you're raising a group of characters and they age and they grow and they have their own kind of dynamic stories that depends partly on how you've been playing the game. And the story uh, unfolds dynamically as you're going. And that's like my favorite kind of story. And you go kind of on loops, right? So like you can finish a game relatively quickly from what I've been able to understand. So I'm like, oh, this sounds exactly like my jam. So I gotta <laughs> play it.
1: That sounds really interesting, actually. I'm not as into into uh, the tactics games as you are, but I do hmm. I do like my dynamic stories. So I'm I'm pulled in different directions here.
0: Uh, I got a few games on my radar right now. I've also been playing this game called I think like Death's Door, which could be summarized as isometric dark souls but you're playing a crow with a uh, lightsaber
1: so yeah that's, that's fun. pretty cool i like that idea okay. okay does the crow hold the lightsaber with its In wing or with its foot with its beak okay i wasn't even gonna i guess think that. so yeah yeah no no is it holding it i don't remember it's got a lightsaber that's what's important <laughs> <laughs> and it's isometric dark souls with a bird that sounds like a nightmare frankly yeah to play and it's really stylish it's super pretty that's awesome. I'm actually about to uh, go house it for my parents for a week. So I'll be just kind of on my own. Probably bring my PlayStation 5 and really, I'll say I'll catch up on some stuff, but I'm probably lying. Oh, look at you, Lottie Dog, got a PS5. I know. That thing is a, is a real it's a it's a, beast. It's a freaking beast. It's a real, you know what, to transport. I'm like, okay, I'm literally like, okay, is my luggage big enough to carry?
0: <laughs> just ride the spaceship over to your parents' house. That's how you can take the pee. <laughs>
1: You have to pick me up. Bad. I'm good. Did you see the ad
0: where Sony tweeted it, and they didn't even know which side was? It was? Up. Upside it, was. Down. it was upside yes. down. I mean, in fairness, it was confusing. I didn't realize it was supposed to be
1: like you know the disc drive was supposed to be that way. I thought it was the other way around too. I have no. I don't even have a disc drive on mine. All I could settle for was the um was the the digital version. But yeah, just. That's hilarious to me because I mean, yeah, I understand why they did that, but it's your console, you should probably know what which end is up.
0: Some uh, some poor marketing flack making some pretty funny headlines out there. But the, the thing that would be funny is like the Sony deleted it like immediately, and it's like okay, that makes it even funnier. You <laughs> know, if better. it had stayed up, if it had stayed up, people <laughs> would have <laughs> chuckled. But the fact that they deleted it, like, that's what makes attention it even better. It. Like,
1: yeah, into fact times a thousand. Yep.
0: All right, Nadia, let's get to the news let's talk about the brand new or sort of new Nintendo switch O L E D as we have been expecting a upgraded model of the Nintendo switch has been announced and I use upgraded loosely has a new screen. It's a bigger screen, like seven Mm -hmm. inches or thereabouts has the updated battery life from the second version of the Nintendo switch. It's like white. So it looks actually really cool. Um, and it has a much better kickstand. (laughs)
1: yes i i don't know who uses the kickstand but i'm glad that at least like it the one that the the original has is a joke i didn't bother using it because it's so stupid but no Mm. this one looks a lot more it's not great i
0: have used the kickstand i should say i have actually set it up you know on a table at times like when i'm flying i will actually set it up Mm. yeah there'll be four times when i would be flying i would (laughs) set
1: it up on the little table fly and actually have a
0: pro controller or something and it would be like having a little screen so
1: so exactly like they demonstrated exactly in the commercial
0: yeah it was better than uh hunching over my switch to some extent and actually it reminds me um when they first revealed the switch way back when and they were doing the hands-on demos do you remember the set the airplane sets they had where you could like sit down and like test it out like on a pretend
1: airplane yeah and they had like a diner i think as i recall yeah it was it was kind of funny
0: it was rad though but uh yeah so i i'm actually gonna get the switch oled because i am such a mark but here's the thing i have a rule of thumb nadia if the screen Mm -hmm. is better i will get and that's fair especially when it comes to handhelds and oled is much better than lcd and a bunch of hands-on previews recently dropped and people are like yeah the screen's better what can i say so it in that respect i'm like okay i'm in Now, people are disappointed because they're expecting it to output in 4K, that it would be supporting DLSS, which is this um, upscaling technology from NVIDIA. Definitely a bummer that it does not have that. And it's going to be $50 more than the regular Nintendo Switch. So I think people would have preferred that the base Nintendo Switch actually drop in price and that the OLED stay at the original premium price. But that is not the case. Nintendo is making you pay the
1: Nintendo tax. The good old Nintendo tax. Do you believe that there still is a, a Switch Pro as it was described in the wings? Yes, I think so too. Yeah, yeah. I feel like maybe this. I believe the the conspiracy, for lack of a better term, that this was supposed to be the Switch Pro, but Nintendo ordered like all the screens and they got those no problem. But then with all the chip shortages and the problems with COVID, they couldn't get everything they needed to make a to assemble this new Switch. So they said, okay, you know what? Let's just release one that has the upgraded screen and we're supposed to hear something in 2022 but this is starting to sound like one of those doomsday cults where the the day of judgment comes and it doesn't come so it's like oh no it's a week from now so it's a, it feels a little bit like that but i think it's a logical explanation why nintendo hasn't upgraded yet and it will in the future because it's it's going up more and more against the likes of the playstation 5 the xbox one x so it has to it does have to get that boost of power it never has to be as powerful but it does have to be a little more comparable. I love that you accidentally called it the Xbox One X. <laughs> I don't know what the F Nobody does. I'm sorry, everybody. I try my best.
0: I do want to drive home that it's a total mess out there right now in terms of semiconductors. Like, mm. If you want to buy a used car, like if you bought a car last year, you could probably sell it for more than you bought it. Wow. That's like how there's actually that's how much of a shortage there are for chips so like cars are going up in price right now um it's actually frankly a miracle that we were able to get consoles actually out on the market and yeah like it's impossible to get them but it's theoretically possible you know like they're they're in stock occasionally Occasionally. you know but yeah like so i think nintendo probably wanted to release this Maybe last year even. Um, right, But they but things just completely blew up, right? And every time like I get a little salty about how, you know, oh psh, this game's been delayed or this technology isn't what I was hoping to, you just haven't remind myself just like the incredible difficulties that everybody is experiencing right now. Now, does that make a switch OLED worth it at $350? Uh, uh i don't know like you have to decide it i mean it, it does feel like kind of a steep markup for a marginally improved screen if i'm being totally honest
1: yeah that's why right now i'm really teetering the back and forth i like my switch light i like my regular switch i'm pretty okay with them i've taken good care of the screens i have no problems there uh someone did bring up the fact that iphone always releases like these marginally upgraded phones for hundreds and hundreds of dollars so the fact that nintendo is charging 50 extra dollars for a better screen better kickstand better battery on the, the switch is kind of reasonable by comparison but that really is up to you
0: i think that nintendo does want existing switch owners to upgrade but i think it's more likely that people who haven't purchased a switch yet will go in for yes. the switch oled but in the meantime who knows maybe maybe switch two is the next one maybe maybe we'll get that sooner rather than later because next year will have been five years wow. since the release of the switch and you know at a certain point next year is when all of the xbox games are going to start dropping or start getting elden ring and starfield and all of those games i think nintendo at a certain point has to respond like i don't think they can keep writing what is actually probably like decade old technology at this point
1: yeah, when it when it launched it was old put it that way. Yeah, the Switch was like not even as good as the PS4 when it
0: launched. No, and exactly. Just think about it now. I mean, it's held up remarkably well in many ways. People it's proven to be really flexible technology. However, as Digital Foundry was kind of pointing out, they're not even using the technology that's in the Switch to the maximum extent possible. You could overclock that chip in the Nintendo Switch and probably get Breath of the Wild up to 60 FPS. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you would lose some uh, battery life and everything, but Nintendo is like being very conservative with how they're using this very old mobile chip.
1: That is funny that they don't let developers overclock, and they've always been paranoid about battery life. And I wonder if it has mm. to do with that battery life overheating the internals oh no it melted yeah i think people are also
0: bummed out about the joy cons and how like the joy con drift is still
1: going to be a thing i've I've gone through so many joy cons at this point i've only had problems once and i still have Mm. my old broken ones here and my brother had promised to fix them and then the plague hit so they're just still (laughs) kind of sitting here uh (laughs) my brother said he would fix it then there was the plague what are you gonna do but and then the locusts and then and then the darkness and the raining fire and they're taking your firstborn i mean i wouldn't be shocked at this point <laughs> at that's this coming point, 2024 angel of death knocks on your door uh, excuse me i'm here to get your first yeah there you go i think that most people are pretty adept now at fixing their own joy cons and nintendo of course is still doing the in thing as far as i know but that's really no excuse for the fact that uh this this happens to begin with And we've discussed this in the past, but my best guess is that the technology for HG Rumble is just too tightly packed in there that Nintendo can't really do much about it at this point. It's going to happen one way or the other. So uh, take your chances, I guess. Well, I will be picking up a Switch OLED because, as I already mentioned,
0: I am a mark. Are you picking one up, Nadia?
1: I am not decided yet. I'll probably cave, but I think that like... Don't get one, Nadia. Come on. You don't (laughs) have to get it. I think like most electronic things these days, it's going to be hard to grab anyway, so I probably won't even bother. Okay,
0: let's keep going. Something that happened on Friday. It was WitcherCon. As you may recall, when we launched our Patreon, we did a Witcher Watch of Season 1. That's all available for our Patreon listeners and our subscribers over on Apple Podcasts. We got a Season 2 trailer. We got a release date. It will be out December 17th. We got a really good interview with Henry Cavill where he talked about playing Witcher 3. He admitted he hasn't finished the expansions yet, Nadia, so I don't feel oh. like such a
1: fraud. You're 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 kin now and you aren't even expected to play uh Gerard uh Jared. Gerald? Um, yeah, gerald. I'm it's Gerard, Friday. Gerard. Geralt, Gerard <laughs> Gordon Gordon. Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> That's Canadian Witcher Gordon. Joseph gerald
0: levitt but uh, they also revealed that Witcher 3 Next Gen is still on track for later this year. It's going to have special DLC that will let you wear like the Netflix armor and that kind of thing. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. The Netflix armor is not very good. <laughs> yeah,
1: I was going to say, it's, the, it's a little bit eh. It's like that horrible Guardian armor. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's just, yeah. it was extremely generic. I'll, uh, that's nice, but I'll pass. But I think both Henry Cavill and I are waiting for the next-gen update to come out so that I can uh, finally finally play through Blood and Wine. I could probably finally play through Witcher. Like I said, I tried yeah. to do it on the Switch Switcher. It didn't really work out that well, but I think that it will work out a lot better on the PS5 for obvious reasons. Ken
0: Henry Cavill also got very nerdy during the podcast here or during the interview. He dropped a Warhammer 40k reference and was like, Oh, that chandelier over there looks like a blackstone fortress. And everybody Holy crap.
1: Now that's <laughs> that's top tier nerd stuff right there when you drop exactly. a forty K reference. Hardcore. He's like, Hardcore. You'll probably think I'm
0: insane, but I've been wanting to say this the entire time. I like him. He's funny. He's great. He's, he's great. And you could tell he's not that, like, he really cares about this stuff and he just enjoys geeking out about it. And I'm like, more power to you, Henry Gavel.
1: Yeah, because honestly, he was the series as far as I'm concerned. He carries mm. it with his uh, portrayal. Yeah, and he was really thoughtful in talking about
0: how he wanted to portray Geralt and how he wanted to stay true to the source material and everything. And it was actually really good stuff. And the teaser, which I... I imagine you haven't watched yet, Nadia. Really good. It was a very good teaser for season two. Like I'm into it.
1: I'm in. Well, it's uh, we don't have to. Well, we do have to wait a little bit longer. It's it's summertime right now. It's coming out in the winter, but I'm sure we'll be there to cover it when it happens. The thing that I thought was funny was that
0: it included the line that people wanted originally to be at the end of season one, but wasn't there. So in the short story, like they use a line. It ends with a line along the lines of like am I your destiny? Say it. Are you my destiny? And Geralt says something along the lines of you're much more than that or something like Mm -hmm. that. And in the end of season one of the Witcher spoiler alert, she goes, (laughs) who's Yennefer? That's the final line.
1: Yeah. I remember that.
0: Yeah. People are like, really, that's the final line. And so in the teaser trailer, you see her saying the line. Everybody's like, really? You're saying it for season two. Okay. Whatever. (laughs) As long as it's there, we, he set the line. Yeah. Woo! Yeah. We were like Geralt and Sierra are actually hanging out
1: this time around instead of her being lost in the woods and stuff. And uh, getting together with an elf dude who just leaves her anyway. And it was completely pointless.
0: WitcherCon wasn't so bad, though. Like they had little, nice little musical interludes from the CD Projekt folks. And there was a pretty lengthy segment where they just shared their story. The CD Projekt folks were just sharing stories about Witcher 3's development and. Telling this story about how they got a call from the front desk from like the Polish government saying, "Hey, do we need a copy of Witcher Three to give to President Obama who's
1: visiting." <laughs> Not quite as good as the time Matt Pat gave Undertale to the Pope, but it's up there.
0: <laughs> and President Obama's like, Uh, oh, you know, I don't know much about video games, but I just got this uh this game called Witcher <laughs> Three that people seem to be really into."
1: I to see Obama playing Witcher 3, just giving it a try and being like, oh hey. And CD Project
0: left unsaid was CD Project going, oh, thank God we don't have to talk about Cyberpunk anymore.
1: <laughs> I was gonna say no like no spite here. It must have been a nice break from talking about Cyberpunk. But I am pretty excited for Witcher
0: Season 2. Of course we'll be talking about it on the podcast.
1: When Witcher Season 2
0: comes around, I will release the wrap-up from the Witcher Watch. No, I won't I'll leave the rest of the Witcher Watch as like premium content for our patrons but i'll release the wrap-up that we did with emily manderwerf because it was a an excellent discussion and of course i'm really looking forward to the next gen expansion i'm sure that at some point we'll do witcher 3 for the pantheon we already did it for the top 25 rpgs of all time but more more witcher let's bring it back one more time baby All right, more RPG news, Nadia. Baldur's Gate patch five was revealed at the recent panel from Hell from Larian Studios. Larian did an ARG, Nadia, where they were—I don't even know what they were doing. Like, I—it was pretty fun though. They did a whole ARG on Twitter, so on Twitch. They just keep trying to uh, one up each other each time. It's great. What does ARG stand for? It's an alternate reality game, Nadia. Okay. You're going to edit around this, and I'm going to sound like I know exactly what I'm talking about, (laughs) forgetting that. I actually had to look it up, too, but no. It's an alternate reality game where uh, people playing on Twitch are working together to figure out the clues and everything, and
1: they were unlocking everything. So Okay, see, I'm too old to really know what that acronym meant, and now I understand. People thought Blue Box was an ARG right and it's not quite the same but i think twitch plays pokemon is a little bit in the same vein yeah and arg would be like people discovering clues for
0: a game in real life and then like coming together on social media to like talk about it but so baldur's gate patch five they've already said it's not coming out of early access this year because (laughs) lol covid um but they did confirm that the dice rolls, you'll actually be able to influence them with magical buffs and everything because if you played the beta, probably you've run into a situation where you've done a dice roll and it's just been like, oh, sorry, you got a critical fail. Everything's gone horribly wrong. Sorry. Rocks, fall,
1: everybody dies. Yeah, I, think yeah. That, I remember that being a big problem for obvious reasons. So you can like load the dice and everything. Like maybe it's just a little too...
0: Uh, what's the word faithful to the source material and they still want to stick with the dice rolls but i think they're like kind of succumbing to pressure a little bit a lot of updates if you've still playing Baldur's gate 3's uh, beta which i'm sure people are there are people are doing that still going uh you put this one in nadia World of Warcraft fans are mad because the twist at the end of Chains of Domination, that would be the Shadowlands expansion, was supposed to justify and explain everything about Sylvanas and was just really bad. I read that article too, Nadia. It was an excellent article and it made me really sad about mm. Blizzard's storytelling and how much of a hash they've made. All of their characters, uh, the way that they've been handling Sylvanas kind of reminds me of how badly they ruined Kerrigan. Oh my God, what they did with Kerrigan in Starcraft was so upsetting to me.
1: Yeah, I don't know a whole lot about Warcraft lore, but even watching that that video and understanding the context, thanks to that article, it was not very good. It was very cliche, no. wasn't it? Very, very cliche Saturday like, morning cartoon.
0: Her motivations are all over the place. Uh, there's the whole monologuing villain who is going to just do random
1: things. Yeah, That's stupid. It was very, very like low tier RPG stuff. It, it was a little disappointing if you are a person who was waiting for that conclusion, because I, I understand it. Like people have been waiting for many, many expansions for some kind of resolution here, and that's what they got. And I'm very sorry for you. I don't. I don't mean that sarcastically. I mean that's just what a disappointment. Definitely. Well, good news. There's a
0: competing MMORPG you may have heard of. It's called Final Fantasy XIV. And did I mention that we got a podcast that's going (laughs) live on Wednesday all about that game? It started a monthly series starring on Nadia Oxford.
1: There was actually, I think it was Reb who I saw the initial tweet about the article from. And I put a a, a GIF of that guy from Le Miserable, like peeking around the corner and saying, me watching this whole thing as a Final Fantasy XIV fan.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. Final Fantasy XIV actually has a good story, interesting, and you know why? Because World of Warcraft, there there was actually a good YouTube video comparing and contrasting Final Fantasy XIV. Fundamentally, they are just two very different games. World of Warcraft is about the grind. It is about it is an MMO that is all about just keeping you engaged at all times. It's about the content. It's about the raids, that kind of thing. Final Fantasy XIV is not about the content. It's not about the grind. It's not about the end game raids. It is about the story. It is built around the story. It is built around trusting the players where it's like we're going to serve up a really awesome piece of content and then we're okay that you're leaving. It's fine. Come back. Come back later. It's
1: fine. Yeah, that's what actually we get into that quite a bit in the podcast. Uh, Mike is very much someone who comes in for the story stuff. He does the story stuff. He does the raid stuff. He leaves for a long time. And he's perfectly happy doing that. There are there are a lot of people who do stick around to do crafting and to level up their their classes because the story comes with each uh, each class you level up and they're pretty good. Uh, but yeah, when I think about how Shadowbringers ended with five point three, I think was that really really dramatic cinema, and how it's just like one of the most sad pieces of video game media I've ever seen with Elidibus and his his end. And then I saw this and it's just like ah, Blizzard. I know that Warcraft is not a very story oriented rpg but i do know that uh sylvanas is a character a lot of people care about and the fact that you did this is very it, it's so phoned in i'm i am disappointed it's too bad because sylvanas is one of the
0: coolest uh character designs i've ever seen in a game
1: <laughs> i like Sylvanas' design I don't even Banshee game. elf girl who's like awesome i love her Banshee so much queen what's not to like
0: yeah i know exactly but i uh, question nadia if i listen to this final
1: fantasy 14 podcast will i be spoiled We're pretty good about avoiding bad spoilers we mostly talked about for the first episode, why we got into the game, why we chose the races we did, and uh, why we chose the first job that we did and we just kind of go into that there's not a whole lot of spoiler uh,
0: material. Right on. Okay,
1: Nadia, final
0: piece of news.
1: There was a Sony state of play. You said it was <laughs> dull. I didn't think it was that bad. <laughs> there sure was a state of play. I was actually—I don't know if you were in the Discord, the Blood God Discord, during that, but we were kind of chatting about it as we went and just, you know, being snarky. It wasn't the worst. It was another fifteen minutes of Death Loop, which, okay, great. Death Loop is coming. Mm. Great. um I did actually, and this is the the, the feeling of the chat as well. Really liked i think it's called jet it looked really neat just that game where you're running and jumping across like terrain for miles at a time and you kind of play as a a naturalist who's exploring a planet and there's no resource extraction there's no killing animals or anything like that it's all just you as an observer observing this new planet it looks really awesome i don't remember when it's coming out but it is certainly on my radar when it does when it does release I remember the state of play being much more eventful, but that's probably because I was doing the
0: recaps, so I was, like, scrambling a lot <laughs> to get everything into one document while it was happening. I think if I were just watching it regularly, it would have been like, yeah, there's some indies. They look all right. Don't really care about most of them. Oh, we got a Death Stranding Director's Cut.
1: We did. Yeah, announcement, we got uh, release date, and we got Moss 2, and Moss 2 is adorable. *Moss*, I, Moss is the game I wish I could rescue from VR. I just... rescue from vr nadia vr is not bad okay Uh, i'm sure it's fine i can't deal with it i too much motion sickness i don't want to pay for the headset i just want to play as that really cute redwall mouse oh adorable it is adorable
0: i mean it's very but like rebecca was tell rebecca valentine friend of the shows she's been on the show um she was talking about how so much of that game is about interacting with the mouse and how like the first time you like lift the mouse up and hear the heartbeat. I mean, like,
1: that's the kind of stuff that's like irreplaceable, you know? That's a good point. Although, I'd be a little freaked out. I'd probably drop it. Ah. Ah. (laughs) It's alive. Oh, Oh, God. Squawk! (laughs) Oh, Oh, it's dead. (laughs) You're my little
0: mouse guy. Oh, I'm so
1: sad. (laughs) Oh, I would actually, if I did have VR, PlayStation VR, I absolutely would play Moss and, uh, and uh, the second one as
0: for final fantasy 16 i mean of course it wasn't there if it gets revealed it's going to be getting its own stream probably and honestly i fully expect that it's probably been like pushed back a year or something like that because everything is such a a shit show in terms yeah. of covid and all that so i'm just assuming at this point everything's been delayed
1: yeah that's a good bet to just kind of carry with you i feel like even if square enix has delayed 16 are not too worried because this year they had to uh, integrate they have uh, Endwalker, so they have Final Fantasy in people's memories and radars, and I think they're content with that. If they have to like delay 16 a bit, no big, no big deal. All right, that is all of the RPG news.
0: Now it's time for the Monster Hunter Stories 2 review with Casey DeFridis. Don't go away. Yeah. Okay, it's time to talk about Monster Hunter Stories 2. This is our review roundtable, and for this segment, we have a special guest. Hey, it's Casey Defridas, host of Nintendo Voice Chat, and I believe you are the wiki editor over
2: at IGN? Yeah, I am, and I'm not that special. Thanks, though. <laughs> <laughs> You're very wiki special. Editor's a
1: big, wiki editor's a big job over at IGN. Holy crap. Oh, my
2: God. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. I was telling Kat, it's like, oh, good, if I'm doing this podcast today, I'll have a... a final excuse to actually stop working on time today so thank you
0: <laughs> Casey and I are co-workers over at IGN and she was gracious gracious, sorry, gracious enough to come on Acts of the Blood God to talk about Monster Hunter Stories 2 which she reviewed over at IGN which is
2: awesome and you ultimately gave it an 8 Casey yes 8 for great, eight we, for great. Don't do, <laughs> we don't do decimal <laughs> points over at IGN anymore so I could not match it with its predecessor, which was an 8.9. An 8.9? 8. Very know. specific score, I have to it's say. It's like, just, just barely, barely close enough to being amazing. It's been a very long
1: time since I played the first game, and I know, all I remember is that I really enjoyed it, but I couldn't really compare it to the first one because I didn't remember what was there. All I remember is um, it was very similar in many ways and I'm sure you'll be able to elaborate upon. I actually reviewed the game for Fanbyte, where I gave it a no score, because thank God they don't make you give out scores. Yeah, so I, I, I was really cool.
2: did not want to, I did not want to give it a numbered score, I was like sweating over it, you know?
1: Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean, because I would say if I was to score it, I would, I think an 8 or an 8.5 is perfectly reasonable, I really had a good time with it, and, you know, it's not the the most original, incredible RPG in the world, but definitely one of my faves so far this year, so uh, we'll get into that. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. You both ended up really liking monster hunter stories Two. I was, I was playing the demo. I broadly enjoyed it, but at the same time, I was kind of like, I don't know, am I going to stick with this one or am I going to hop over to Neo the world ends with you? Uh, Casey, since you're our guest here, I'm curious, like what makes monster hunter stories Two like really good. And it seems is, is it actually like a little bit worse than the original release or is it about comparable?
2: I'd say it's about comparable. I think it, There are enough changes in there that are better, but there are also some changes that make it worse in my personal opinion. Some people probably don't care about some of those changes. Um, Overall, there are a bunch of improvements, but personally, I didn't enjoy the story quite as much as I enjoyed the first one's story. And the whole fact that you can't see all of Amonsti's stats just really annoyed me. I know I, like, I was struggling with this because, like, It's one of those things that I guess don't matter that much in the grand scheme of things, but they really matter to me. (laughs) So I couldn't get away from being annoyed by that. But all things, like as a package as a whole, it looks better than the original one, even though it does have some framerate issues on the Nintendo Switch. And it's still an incredibly fun interesting game with so many different things to do that kept me sidetracked from the main story and it kept me sidetracked in like a happy way I was happy to do those things beyond the main sides the main story and I only went back to the main story when I was done done all the things (laughs) I wanted to do in that area which is why I finished the story having hatched every single monster you can except for two so I, I I don't I just I just really liked that loop of getting eggs and then seeing what I get and seeing how I can use those new Monsties. Even if I couldn't put them on my team, they have genes that you can transfer over to your other party members, so nothing ever goes to waste. So it was a really—it's just such rewarding gotcha system, (laughs) especially you know you don't have to pay anything for it. You just have to spend the time looking for monster dens and the way that they also give you. a way to get a specific egg if you do specific things to the monster you're fighting is great as well because sure it takes a little bit more time than just popping into a den and getting what you get but at least you have a way to get specifically what you want there are a lot of smart choices that went into there but the i I found the battles i like the improvements of the battle systems better overall they are a lot more intricate than they were in the first one Mm -hmm. But when you are fighting just your regular normal monsters that you run into the overworld and they're taking so long. And I say so long and it's not it's not like an exorbitant amount of time, but like seven minutes to fight one overworld monster is kind of like pushing it, I guess, <laughs>
1: for me. I found that like um, I was having the same problem as well, but there's two things that really saved my butt. Number one, they are pretty generous with how you run into weaker monsters and you can mm-hmm. just... It finished the battle instantly and get all the all the scraps you need yeah, like thank S- goodness rank every for that. time. And I got kind of good at guessing what a monster was going to use against me, mm-hmm. technical power or speed based on their body type. And switching out weapons, even though it takes that half second, I found mm-hmm. that could do so much more damage. Plus oh, I yeah. had uh, I can't remember the name of the monster. It's it's probably one of my favorites. It's the Nagakuga. Nagakuga. Uh, Nagaku- I love the Nagakuga. Like I got the hidden blade, which is mm-hmm. really really uh powerful crit chance. Mm-hmm. So I found that helped me as well.
2: Yeah, I I was trying to balance that as well. It's like I did the same thing as you, where I was switching as often as I needed to to get the advantage so I could keep my advantage to kind of like speed things up but I was occasionally coming into monsters that were changing their I don't know what to call it stance
1: so just
2: to a base summary there's a, a weapons triangle basically kind of like in Fire Emblem but in this time in this game it is technical versus speed versus power so like rock paper scissors so to keep your advantage you should be attacking with whatever is better against the monster you're fighting, but they can change this mid battle. So you wanna to switch to be able to counter and you also want to switch your weapons to have a an attack type that is better against its parts, which is blunt slashing and piercing. So you are kind of having to balance all of this at the same time. So it keeps battles interesting if you have to repeat them. However, it also makes it grinding more tedious because you have to actually think when you're battling. It's like a weird, um, what do you call it? Like, this is good, but also it gets a little bit tedious if you do it a lot. And I was doing it a lot.
1: (laughs) Curse blessing of sorts. Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: Yeah, I noticed that when I was playing the, the demo, the actual basic battles can take a little while to complete. So this continues to be the case even once you start to get much more powerful monsties.
2: Yes like Nadia said that it's awesome that they have a quick finish function so if you are backtracking to a previous area you can just get you can just kill them with one shot. However doing quick finish doesn't you can't make a monster go back to its den to get its egg if you use quick finish. you have to go through the whole battle and I was coming back with like much stronger monsties. and even though that was the case, it was still taking a couple of turns to beat them you can't just like one shot them like you can a weak pokemon in a pokemon game it's still it still takes a couple of turns to to wear them down even if you're 20 levels ahead of them
1: yeah there's usually like a body part that needs to be broken off first or, or mm-hmm. something like that
2: yeah
0: you posted then- a clip on twitter sorry oh. of <laughs> the nursilla And it was farting or something?
2: Yes. (laughs) There's a lot of farting in this game. (laughs) Yeah, I know. That's what I did. That was my goal. I streamed last night. And I was like, you know what? What should we make the goal of the stream? We're going to make a farting Ursula. And (laughs) the reason this is funny. So there is a monster in Monster Hunter called Kongalala. And it throws poop and it farts on people. (laughs) And it gives you the status of stench, which you then have to deodorize so you can use items again, because if you stink that bad, it you can't eat because it's disgusting. So you got to deodorize yourself so you can eat some food. So anyway, one of the really cool functions in Monster Hunter Stories 2 is the ability to give any move or any passive ability or any active ability from one monster onto another one. And that's what I did with the Friday Ursula. I went and I found myself a Kangalala, and I went and found myself a Ursula and I gave Kongalala's um, foul gas gene to Nursilla. <laughs> so, and the the way that they do the animation, I guess they they pick the point where breath attacks are supposed to happen. And Nursilla, it's a spider. So it just worked out.
1: <laughs> I did not even consider giving the farting gene to another monster. Like just putting it on something totally undignified, like a Rathalos or something. Yeah, be I pretty also... Great. <laughs>
2: I also gave it to a kezu, and it just comes out of kezu's mouth. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry that I had to give you that visual. But
0: (laughs) Anybody who's not familiar with the kezu, it's the big, horrible lamprey eel, like, white,
2: Uh. worm-like
0: monster thing. Like, that's the worst monster. I was introduced to it in Monster Hunter Rise for the first time, and it's just the absolute worst. I do not like it.
1: Is that the blind one? Yes. Yeah, that thing's horrifying.
2: Yeah. I had a friend who was introduced to it the first time in Rise, and I got a text at like one o'clock in the morning saying, Casey, what the heck is this? Why is this in the game? It's literally, I don't know how like adult I can get in here, but she she was comparing it to things that i'm just not gonna say you can guess A wiener. but it was yeah she's she's like why is this wiener in monster hunter and i was like he's an og man like he's been around since the very first oh, monster wow. hunter he's cute right no
1: <laughs> not exactly To
0: paraphrase, he's not he's princess, not he's disgusting to paraphrase princess bride dear god what is that thing
2: <laughs> yes <laughs> that
0: sums up kazoo i think it does but, I really like Monster Hunter. So I'm kind of mixed, actually, on Monster Hunter Story 2's visuals. On the one hand, they can be really detailed and really nice. And I I think that they've cleaned them up a bit compared to the first game, make them a little more detailed, maybe a little more mature. But at the same time, like when you're in the overworld, first of all, the game kind of chugs a bit. And second of all, I, I think the cutesiness can still get kind of overbearing. It has a very young look. What are your thoughts on that, Casey?
2: So uh, I think it's positively claudacious. No, I'm kidding. It's not. I got so tired of hearing that. I was like, Navaru, please shut Navaru, up. Navaru, shut up. Stop. Go
1: over there, please. <laughs> and, just stop.
2: And, and like, I usually, I love the cat puns in Monster Hunter. They're like one of my yeah, favorite things. they're but adorable. I I had an interview with the developers before and the localization team, and they told me that they weren't allowed to have any cat puns in the voiced lines and now i know why because <laughs> they become so much more grating when you're actually hearing someone say it over and over rather than just reading it um but i i appreciate the older look that they did give things and it wasn't just the characters that they made look older but the monsters themselves kind of lost their incredibly chibi-fied look that they had in the original as well they're still a little bit smaller than your average monster that you'll run into but they're not they don't have like big heads and look like babies but you can look at their babies form in oh, the monsterpedia they're, so oh, they're adorable, they're adorable. They're tiny babies yeah, yeah they're very cute i love looking at them and girdo i'm very forgiving when it comes to like graphical and frame rate issues as long as it doesn't disrupt the gameplay or game experience. So it didn't I didn't personally get any slowdowns or anything when exploring in the overworld. I mostly experienced them oddly enough during cutscenes. And oh. yeah, which was I which was weird. It's weird, right? Like yeah, you shouldn't that get that kind of slowdown during cutscenes. So, but that's when I was mostly getting them during cutscenes and sometimes mm. when entering my house or things like that. But I found it, it had most problems
1: mm-hmm. with towns, like especially the first town and the second town. It was pretty chubby there. Uh, I did find, though, uh, recently, I'm like, okay, maybe the frame rate's not bad at all on the overworld, and it could be I'm just used to it, <laughs> but I'm not sure uh, if Capcom fixed it or if I'm used to it. So
2: I might be used to it, too. I think my eyes got used to it because it was definitely something I noticed immediately when I first started playing, mm-hmm. and then the more I played, the less I noticed it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So... I actually wonder how it runs on the PC. I haven't heard one way or the other.
2: I, I think it does run better. I watched a video uh from RX and he he did a video comparing the two and it does look like it has less less choppiness and less frame rate issues. And I know I think one of the problems with the Switch is that the frame rate is uncapped, so it just kind of like uh, it can just do whatever it wants. Yeah, <laughs> which is yeah. not necessarily good all the time (laughs) so i'm thinking maybe they'll come out with a patch that i think cap it at 30 and then maybe we won't see those kind of issues anymore
0: well it's a good thing that we're getting a brand new switch model that's going to have a new processor oh wait no we're Uh, uh, back i actually
1: tweeted specifically like okay man i really like monster hunter stories too but talk about a game that really made me wish that the the pro switch rumors were real
2: Right. I just, all I, I didn't even care. I don't even care about 4K. I just wanted exactly what you said. I want a slightly better chipset to make it a little bit better, just a tiny bit. So we didn't get these frame rate issues in games like Stories. But it's also weird because we didn't, there aren't really any frame rate issues with Monster Hunter Rise, but I can see why they would pay yeah. more attention to that. Because if there are frame rate issues in Rise, like it would be unplayable.
1: Because right. it's an action
2: game that is very much dependent on your quick time responses and stories you don't have to worry about that it's a turn-based game like your well, like slightly slower frame rate isn't going to mess with anything and i never found anything slowing down in the menus
1: yeah so it's extremely playable whatever way you put it like i guess the uh the monster hunter team's working in tandem together because as you said to this day i'm still impressed with how well monster hunter rise runs on the switch it's just incredible Whereas It's um, magic.
2: <laughs> it's Capcom, sorcery.
1: Capcom in general, I think, has a really good handle on how the switch works, but maybe they couldn't get stick the landing quite perfectly for stories, too. And I feel like the important thing is how the monster movements and everything are so incredible that mm-hmm. I don't really care that the environment's a bit sparse and maybe kind of uh, ch- uh, chugs along a bit. Can we talk really quickly
0: about how it portrays hunters in Monster Hunter <laughs> stories, too? Because <laughs> They're dicks.
1: Yeah, hunters
0: I, are jerks. <laughs> I have this theory, okay, that Monster Hunters just never really been able to figure out how to portray hunters. Like, they can't get around the fact that actually the hunters are bad guys. You've been bad guys all along. And Monster Hunter Stories 2 just confirms it. Mon-
2: are hunters are terrible. You're bad. You're the bad guy. Are we the baddies? So, especially at the beginning of the games, the beginning of the game the hunters are complete jerks and later on i think it's the same thing as you can say about any group of people right some people are going to be jerks and other people are going to be nice like Roberto was a cool dude bro <laughs> but <laughs> sorry um he had us go looking for shrooms he, he seemed like a good dude in tune with nature you know but then the crew that Kyle was hanging out with were obviously bad seeds who didn't give a crap about anything were out to just make money and hunt whatever they had to in order to do so but i'm sure there are also an equal number of hunters out there like Ruto who just is looking at the environment seeing how it's affected and I, I think he explained like we're not just fighting these enraged monsters or these monsters calling causing trouble because of humans, but they are also causing trouble in the ecosystems. It's like, you know, like how in Florida, you're allowed to just go out and hunt wild boars because they destroy our ecosystem here. So something kind of similar to that, like if a population gets out of control and there's nothing to fix it, we kind of play the wolves in that situation because there are no natural predators out there um, for these huge monsters most of the time. (laughs) But yeah, some of them are huge jerks. (laughs) <laughs> like kyle's friends
1: <laughs> yeah and uh the story of uh i can't remember the the name of the the female the the woman character Tsukino? oh wait she has the hunting uh, horn uh she's in the oh Avenia. yeah her story about how well, i don't want to spoil it too much but her story involves hunters and it's just kind of like uh well i don't like people now and she went and did the loner junk in the woods for a while yeah yeah with with frost fang aka mm-hmm. fuzz fangs yeah fuzz very fangs. cute very cute.
2: I've, i really like the side characters and the side stories in this game um i think they made everything a lot more interesting i like um the first
1: guy you team up with the well one of the, the sorry it's the second the wyvarian alwa yeah
2: Al- alwyn he was my Alwin. favorite
1: he you he, 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 you kind of start out thinking okay well what a jerk But then you find out no he's just mm-hmm. a wyvarian and mm-hmm. they don't know really know how to communicate with humans yet
2: but yeah he's trying yeah he's giving his best his-
1: i love his monster i can't remember what he rides on. Legiana. Yeah, I don't gorgeous. remember
2: what Legiana. I think uh, what what was his name? Like the, his Legiana's name.
1: It sounded like Shulk. Yeah, Shulk. it was Shulk, but spelled differently. Yeah, <laughs> with an A instead yeah. of a U. Shulk,
2: Shulk yeah. the Legiana.
0: The monsters in Monster Hunter stories, 2, <clears throat> much like in Monster Hunter Rise, are definitely the stars of the show. I'm constantly impressed by how well designed they are, and how enjoyable they are to use, and how they have each have their own personalities, and how that is translated from Monster Hunter, the Monster Hunter proper, to Monster Hunter Stories 2. I don't know that there's a series that does it better. Like, I think maybe Monster Hunter Stories 2 and Monster Hunter Proper might actually top Pokemon in terms of just how great the monsters are from top to bottom. Like, there isn't really a weak one in the bunch or certainly nothing on the level of say like a, a vendor trash Pokemon from Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire.
2: I definitely think Pokemon suffers from having too many Pokemon there. I said mm. it. Um, <laughs> so yes. it's Controversial opinions here on Axe of the Blood God. <laughs> it's so hard to give the attention that every Pokemon deser- yeah. every deserves. Every Pokemon
1: deserves a hug and you can't yeah. do it.
2: Yeah. So every you, Pokemon, there's every Pokemon generation has
0: about fifteen really good marketable Pokemon, and then there's a lot of really bad ones in there that are just like yeah. filler Pokemon. Yeah.
1: And I have to say that catching "quote unquote" uh, monsters in stories too is a little bit more fun than just kind of flushing them out of the the grass. Because what you do is you go to a den, and there's different kinds of dens, and you have to sneak up usually when they're sleeping and dig through their nest and you don't really know what egg you're getting except if it, if maybe you understand casey if it shines a certain way it's a good it's a it's a better egg than not and even if you don't uh use the monster that you hatch you can use its genes and mm-hmm. use it as a gene farm in fact i like to send monsters out on expeditions and kind of fatten them up bring them back and take their genes that unlock
2: I did the exact same thing. I was leveling up a bunch of monsters just so I could take their genes that they unlock when they get to higher levels. Yeah. It's, uh, it's you know?
1: efficient. This is, how, yeah. this is capitalism or something. I don't know.
2: But yeah, that, the gotcha system is just so good because like you said, like you kind of know if it shines that you should be excited about this egg and it's... Also paired with the fact that Navaru rates it based on how smelly and heavy the egg is, so you know, like the smellier and heavier it is, the better it's going to be. But then when you get that gold shine, you're like, oh, I know this is going to be good. And then you get that rainbow shine and you're like, I know this is going to be the best and I'm definitely going to keep it regardless of the species it's going to be, which you can kind of tell based on the pattern. And mm-hmm. I, I just started memorizing. I mean, I played a lot of the first stories, so I just kind of like comes back to you and you can kind of guess based on the color scheme and everything. So you can kind of make educated guesses on like what's going to be inside the egg, but the system—the system is just so great because exactly what you said, like you could use their genes, and if it's sparkling gold or rainbow, they're definitely going to have some good genes. Can't wait to genetic genetically experiment on them. We get home. right into
0: the go right <laughs> into the gutter. Like no <laughs> more, we don't want you. You don't have good genes.
2: Yeah.
1: they they say the the monsters leave you when you take their genes but they just disappear it's a little bit the implications are a little bit sad
0: yeah it's the same with pokemon you release them yes they've been released
2: or you let them suffer in uh in the box for their entire life eternal purgatory yeah eternal purgatory just hundreds (laughs) of alolan Vulpixes sitting there just ready
1: Maybe they're on a farm together somewhere upstate.
2: Who is taking care of all of my breed jacks? Like that's what I want to know because <laughs> I have hundreds of them and I'm not paying for it. I don't have the land for it. I don't even have a house. Mr. Box. <laughs> like- <laughs> this is a tangent, but I've always
0: said that Pokemon needs like a proper ranch or something where you can just go and visit and like hello the Pokemon that you want to have out there are just frolicking kind of like Ash's ranch or professor Oak's uh, ranch in the, in the anime. So. so,
2: so they, they did have a, a, my Pokemon ranch yes. on the Wii mm-hmm. where you could, but that wasn't a good game. So. No, <laughs> really? Tell me. That no. Really <laughs> now. Well, according to IGN, it's a four out of 10, which oh is. Oh my goodness uh, gracious. I don't even remember what a four stands for, but I assume it's very bad very bad there we go (laughs) very bad don't bother yeah
0: you know i think it's natural to compare monster hunter stories to to pokemon so like we're doing it right now but i would actually kind of go more toward dragon quest monsters joker too certainly in terms of the aesthetic and everything
2: they confirmed they are working on a new uh dragon quest monsters uh game by the way, during their, I think, it I don't, was it their 35th anniversary stream? It was during
1: the, the live stream, yeah.
2: Yeah, during the live stream. So I'm very excited whenever that's happening. <laughs> yeah, I actually came
1: into Joker 2 very late. I think the 3DS generation had already begun, and I
2: actually found I, I really enjoyed
1: it. But the just, yeah, the uh, very idea of interacting with the monsters on the field, like, that's something mm-hmm. also that you get with uh with uh, stories, too, where... Um, they're pretty good about charging you if you're minding your own business, I have to say. Mm-hmm. That's why I liked my Kuga. Narga. Did I have it pronounced? Nargakuga. Yeah. yeah. That's why I liked him because he had stealth. And yes. when you're in stealth, they won't bother you.
2: Mm-hmm. So just I, like, hey, boy. No, 100%. That's why I use Nargakuga so much because I could just turn invisible and like not get annoyed. And I eventually, I always had something in my party that could either use stealth or could use roar because roar kind of had the same effect. I can just yeah. disturb other monsters and then it actually makes it so that while they're stunned you can actually walk through them Mm, (laughs) after you didn't know that yeah
1: i would just like kind of go around them Mm -hmm. but with uh nagakuga you could actually also sneak up behind them very easily and get that free hidden which does also speed up the battles a bit
0: yes nadia did you get to the point monster hunter rise where you actually fought a nagakuga
1: no i want to now
2: nagakuga is uh... It's been around in Monster Hunter for quite a while, right, Casey? Uh, yeah, since Monster Hunter Freedom Unite. It was the flagship monster on the box for that one. Oh, really? I for the PSP.
0: It was also in Iceborne. I only mention it because it's one of my favorite monsters from those two games, just because it's fun to fight. It's like really fast. It moves around at light speed. It has a lot of interesting patterns. It's very enjoyable to fight solo, and it has a really good musical theme
2: in yes. Monster Hunter yeah i i love narguga it's definitely one of my top most favorite monsters i think i you know when people ask my gut reaction is almost always narguga but it's been my favorite for such a long time i feel like i should reevaluate and give some other monsters a chance (laughs) 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 but just for all of the same reasons that you mentioned it kat and also i love its armor design it's really cool and i also really like the skills that come with the armor as well because i just a lot of people give me crap for it, but I really like Evade Window. I like increasing my invincibility frames, okay? So I I just like using it. Crit build, Evade Window. mix set. Just in my I like.
1: uh, In stories, too. I'm trying to remember what the skill build is, but you do get that evasion boost. And uh, like I said, with the Hidden Blade, you get an yeah. really incredible crit boost. So mm-hmm. I've been... It's uh, probably my most used armor and uh, weapon set. Plus, it just looks really, really cool. Mm-hmm. It is really neat.
0: There's nothing wrong with the Nargacuga build in Monster Hunter Rise. It just means that you're fairly meta depending on which weapon you're using.
2: Yeah. I mean, they did they did come out with a sword and shield with like uh I don't even remember, it was some crazy crit rate. <laughs> but Nargacuga's weapons are all known for having really good crit rate as well. So
1: It's just a really good, like Monster Hunter series, I find has a really good, compelling designs for their monsters. And Nargokuga is just one of those monsters I look at and I think it's on the level of, say, my favorite Pokemon is Arcanine. (laughs) We just have that perfect combination of animalistic features, Uh, in Nargokuga's case, uh, a panther, a dragon. what more do you need really? Like it's just so like incredible. Oh, and like say like a Wyvern or a serpent with the way its tail is spiked. That's just and his eyes glow like when you're in stealth yeah. mode or before you do you pull off a really cool move. Like his eyes glow it's so cool. These trails like a car in a uh, Tokyo Drift or something.
2: <laughs> so I know you you're talking we're talking about Nargacuga. Did you ever see the um the Nargakuga short by N C h productions (laughs) no now i want to
1: though that sounds great
2: it's i'll link it to you it's it's just a really adorable little little short about a baby dark Guga, and it's adorable oh my god (laughs) that sounds incredible i want
0: to see this now talking about like the actual designs of monster hunter the sensibilities of monster hunter and the personality extend not just to the monsters but to the world itself when i look at monster hunter's kind of environments its armor it's weapons. I know that I am looking at Monster Hunter, amazing, and that to me is um, immediately, and that to me is the mark of really terrific world building. Like when I saw the first time that your character puts on their hunter armor um, and is preparing to go, out, I'm like, oh yeah, yep, yeah, you're definitely, uh, you're definitely grounded in the world of Monster Hunter. They definitely have an aesthetic to them. <laughs> they're appropriating uh tribal looks a little bit but you know let's move on from there but yeah no it's uh it's such a fun world to be in even if i was complaining a little bit earlier about how at times it gets a little too cutesy
1: yeah i mean you have things like um one one reason i actually really like the game is because uh it has a a, a kind of a an appeal to someone who's a naturalist and the things like the encyclopedias are just organized so well where they Hmm they use consistently across the series like those icons to represent each monster things like that really add special touches to the series
2: yeah i think one of the reasons i love monster games so much is because so before i got into writing and wanted to become a video game journalist as i said in high school um i wanted to be a zookeeper a vet or a marine Aww. biologist same yeah, and I just really loved animals. Animal Planet was my jam. I watched Discovery Kids in the morning. Like that's that's what I wanted. I like loved animals, but I just got really into writing and video games as well and that's just kind of like what I went for instead. I think because uh, I stopped pursuing to be a vet cuz when I was a little kid, I had a traumatizing experience where a neighbor's uh-huh. dog got into my friend's uh, like bunny crate outside while oh, there were dear. A bunch of babies in oh. there, so oh, no. I was like, "Yeah, nope, not gonna oh. be a vet anymore."
1: <laughs> water shift down life.
2: <laughs> yeah, I was like, "Sorry, dogs aren't
1: dangerous." No, um, I totally know where you're coming from because I I kind of have the same background. I actually did get to work a lot with animals. I used to be a groomer for fifteen fifteen years or something like that, and uh, I did like co op work with a vet in school and. Uh, So I've always loved working with animals. And like I said in my review for um, Fanbite, I said, I don't know where I went wrong. Probably the (laughs) fact that I hate getting up at before 12 in the afternoon. No, (laughs) see. So I will observe my animals from behind a screen. And I think Capcom really kind of gets that, as I said, that naturalistic world very, very right. Makes it very compelling to explore to the point that maybe I'm not as into the mainline monster hunter because hunting the monsters, it feels a little more like you're using every part of it in Monster Hunter stories, whereas in Monster Hunter, it's like, okay, this mighty Rathalos is dead. Time to take a scale so I can make pants out of it.
2: But he's still making pants out of it in Monster Hunter stories as well. Yes. <laughs> but there are other things, too. It's almost more morbid. It's like, oh, like I'm going to hatch this egg, but before that, I'm going to kill your dad and make <laughs> pants
1: out of it. I'm going to steal it from your nest. Sweet dreams.
0: Monster Hunter. You're going to learn all about these monsters. You're going to fill out your encyclopedia and then you're going to murder them.
1: <laughs> Every single
2: no, one. But I, they, th- about the world building and the attention to detail, there are just so many things. Like, for example, T is known for being able to survive and live and thrive anywhere which is why one of its moves where it, it shoots it's a like rock shooter I think is what it's yeah. called in Monster Hunter Stories 2. But depending on the terrain it's standing on changes the element that it that it does. It, at least in the regular game. I didn't experience that in Monster Hunter Stories 2. I think that would have been a lot to deal with in a JRPG. But you can find T eggs like anywhere. Like once you get to that point in the game. Like literally any any kind of terrain and I just loved that little detail that like oh like t-rex could be anywhere so why can't you find its egg anywhere yeah so it's just like small things like that that i think are really interesting and i know that the developers one of their goals for monster hunter stories too was to continue expanding the world and the lore of monster hunter and i love how they kind of link things together like that
0: out of curiosity which weapons were you using casey like primarily
2: I was using a hunting horn, a greatsword, and a bow. I used the gunlance for a little while, but using the gunlance would have been awesome if I did not have a buddy. But because <laughs> I had... <laughs> so the way the gunlance works is that you can build up your kinship gauge, which you use to use special attacks, and your ultimate uh, kinship attack with your monstie where you like ride it and then do a super cool anime nuke. Yeah, that's really awesome. But you can only take advantage of those skills from the gun lance if you're being targeted by a monster. And if there are three other potential targets, odds are you're not going to be targeted that often. So I found it a lot less useful when I had other people in my party. And you can't control during the story if you have people with you or not. So yeah, yeah. Um, they come the, and go according to the storyline. Yeah, exactly. So I found the bow a little bit uh, more beneficial for that and also beneficial for the tournament mode because you could charge and they do two attacks on one turn which like really screws over like pvp opponents even though i was fighting npcs it's like the same kind of deal you know and the only i actually prefer the sword and shield but i was using the great sword because if you do the tournament that you unlock in the third area you get a ticket to get a great sword and it's just so much better than anything else you can buy (laughs) so uh like I was like, just ex- much, much better. It does so much damage than anything else that I had access to. So I just kind of stuck with that just because it was better.
1: <laughs> it's kind of like when you go to an arcade and you go to the prize counter and there's all this crappy stuff, but maybe there's like one really good thing. And <laughs> you you save up your tickets and you get that instead.
2: What did uh, What did you use, Nadia?
1: I usually use sword and shield. I'm a coward when it comes to defense. Um, I used, what was the, uh, I know I used um bow and arrow. The second one I used hammer. Uh, mm-hmm. Basically, I can't remember what options there were with the hammer. With the hammer category, that's where you could get the hunting horn, horn. If I'm not mistaken, right? I never used that.
2: Yeah, it was the blunt was hunting horn or the hammer. I actually only used the hammer once. It sounded really interesting in practice, but because I never knew what monster I was going to be using, I couldn't be sure that I could get the most out of the hammer because the hammer, every single individual hammer has attacks that will make it stronger when used against something that has a certain blight. And, like, I couldn't, but each hammer only does it, like, for example, there's one hammer that will do extra damage with its skills against someone who is paralyzed or poisoned, and every single hammer has different yeah. um, things like that. And I was like, I don't want to, like, have to worry about uh, another thing, so I'm just going to stick with the hunt with the uh, hunting horn. Yeah, maybe I should, crit. Uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, I should probably just give it to the hunting horn a try, because it's uh, good to, for, for, like, party support, you can... Heal, mm-hmm. increase uh, critical attacks. Yeah, well, I might give it a try. That bow looks so cool. The bows are really awesome. Yeah, I had the bow, blazing bow.
2: Oh yeah, the bows were very stylistic and stylish, rather, <laughs> and I just really appreciated their animations. That's another
0: thing I really like about Monster Hunter is that every weapon has its own personality and move mm-hmm. set, and feels so distinct from any other weapon that you are using. So there's a real learning curve. When you're picking up, say, the long sword versus the hunting horn versus the hammer versus yeah, the dual yeah. swords. And I like that they managed to incorporate that pretty well into monster hunter stories, too, I think
1: they did. They did it in their own way, where we were just talking about how the hammer takes a little bit of finesse to use. and uh, the gun lance, the same idea, hunting horn. you have to know when to know all, when to use all these things. When's the best time? Like, for example, using a blade is always really vital against uh, an enemy's tail. For, that's usually the leak, the, the weak, the weak point right there. But you have to really find a combination that works for you. And in the meantime, they all look really cool and really stupidly big when you pull them out. Like it's the funniest thing when they pull out a weapon like three times their size. Like it weighs nothing.
2: They for the Monster Hunter movie, they actually even though they, of course the weapons that they made as the props were made out of foam. Even so, even so, they were still too heavy and they had to keep sizing them <laughs> down so that the actors could actually move with them, like it, with agility, because <laughs> they were having such <laughs> <this laughs> a hard time with it. Um, so that's why these weapons aren't as big. They tried, the actors couldn't handle it, <laughs> except that's for maybe fun. Tony Jaw, but no one else could. <laughs> Wait, did you actually watch the Monster Hunter movie? Did you have to watch it? Did you review it? I did not review it. Um, I actually got an early screening of it like months before it came out. And then I also watched it in theaters and they actually changed the ending and they changed the ending. And I'm sure other people had the same feedback. They wouldn't have changed it based on just my feedback. That's crazy. But I'm glad they changed the ending, but that still didn't make like the movie as a whole. Like, um, great. I... (laughs) I really I really like the monster designs and the sound designs. And I thought, the, even though the weapons were smaller, I thought the weapons looked cool and some of the set pieces were really cool. But it was really unfortunate that... So I actually was able to visit the set for the Monster Hunter movie in oh, South nice. Africa. And the attention to detail they had in the set was insane. And then you go and you watch these scenes in the movie and you cannot see any of it. <laughs> oh. And it just made me really disappointed. Like, the whole scene where they're fighting the... I'm sorry if this is spoilers. It's whatever. Oh, my God, God. Spoilers <laughs> for Monster Hunter, the
1: movie? They hunt um, monsters.
2: <laughs> they're fighting <laughs> Rathlos in, it's like an ancient, ancient civilization ruins. And if you know anything about Monster Hunter lore, a lot of ancient civilization ruins are made out of uh, Elder Dragon scales. And when I was on the set, you can actually see chips in some of this the set pieces in that area like are made out of scales, which wow. is crazy. But you can't see that in the movie. They never mention it like you can't actually see it because it's like dark and stormy and rainy and like there are a bunch of other things too like all of the bones that they used for the set they actually had an artist make draw skeletons of monsters and they only made bones based off of those drawings so that all of the bone pieces would be like something straight out of a monster but it's just like those kind of details you can't tell from the movie and i guess like ultimately even if they were in there they wouldn't have made like the, the pacing any better but it still would have been cool <laughs> to see
1: <laughs> yeah it sounds like they had a good kernel of something going there but then they said no okay we got to make everything dark rainy and move fast and it would, action 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 that's a bit of a shame
2: mm-hmm. yeah i never saw it okay <laughs>
1: I just love that they went full Land of the Lost with Monster Hunter
0: living yeah. in the Land of the Lost. The 90s <laughs> reboot, not the one from like the 70s or whatever. Okay, we're running out of time, but I'm curious, like, final thoughts, and who would you recommend Monster Hunter Stories to? to start with you, Nadia?
1: Final thoughts. I really enjoyed the game. Uh, we went over many of the reasons why, and we went over some of its weaknesses as well. And I just find it's a very satisfying Pokemon-like experience. And I think that's the word there—satisfying. Um, like Casey, I did a lot of exploring off the beaten path. There's just so many things that catch your attention, even when you're trying to pay attention to the main plot. It's like, da da da. Oh, there's a there's a monster den. Well, I, I'm not going to bother. Oh, yeah, but it's a rare monster den. You have like a little <laughs> demon on your shoulder talking to you the whole time. And
2: it's I am 100%, it's 100% <laughs> what was going on in my head when I was playing
1: it. Because I mean, there's also things like Everdens where you can find bottle caps and buy like rare stuff with that. And it's just so much fun. But uh, I would honestly recommend it to people who might be interested in Monster Hunter, but maybe are a little bit intimidated by the, uh, the fast paced action aspect of it. Because if you are a fan of Pokemon's like slash collecting games, monster games at uh, digimon as well i would absolutely recommend giving it a try give the demo a try at least it's right there it can't do, it can't steer you wrong and i find that the monster hunter world is very interesting and fun even if you're not good at playing the game so this is a, a nice slower way to enjoy the, the the world of monster hunter despite a few flaws that we went over
2: and i i also wanted to add on people who like pokemon or digimon or any monster collecting games like even if, if you find yourself playing persona games or games like uh well man what is it called um devil survivor Overclock, i believe it was the one on the 3ds yeah. that i played mm. but if you find yourself tinkering with your monsters mm-hmm. a lot in those games you will probably like monster hunter stories too oh, and no. I, that means huh. i probably will like it <laughs> uh. you, you probably would if you got into it deep I enough would. and unlocked I the would. gene splicing yeah. and stuff you would love that yeah, you unlock the gene splicing pretty fairly early on in this in yeah. the second area that you go to. So, as soon as you're done with the trial version, which is available for free on the eShop, you can play the whole first area before you move on and your save data will transfer over. Um you it's just a couple of missions in to the to the next area. So, you it's a pretty early thing that you can use. I had a lot of fun with it. All right, that's our Monster Hunter Stories
0: 2 Review Roundtable. Now it's time for the epic boss battle of the week of the Blood God. Don't go away. Okay, it's time for the epic boss battle of the week of the Blood God, the segment in which we explore a boss battle from an RPG. And this week we're staying on the Monster Hunter Stories 2 tip. Nadia, you picked the Rathian from Monster Hunter Stories 2. Of course, the Rathian is an iconic monster from Monster Hunter, but I'm curious why you picked the Rathian in particular.
1: Well, this, is a, this Rathian in particular, and Casey, you, you probably have your own idea of what was like your, your best boss battle in the game, but I found that this Rathian that you go up against, it's blighted, it's diseased, basically, it's enraged, it's coming straight for you, it's coming right at us. And at first, with well, the first time you see a monster in that condition, it's an it's an Anjanath, and uh, they do the whole, oh no, let's run thing, we can't beat this, this horrible blighted monster, so you do that. And then the Rathian comes out later, and you're like, oh, we're probably gonna run away from a Rathian because it's a damn Rathian, and it's still quite early in the game. No, you fight the Rathian. So. <laughs> <laughs> I know enough about Monster Hunter that I know that the Rathian is basically female Rathalos, isn't it? Uh, she, yes. She's a she's a more of a ground based uh, monster than the Rathian, uh, Rathalos, and she has an extremely poisonous tail that was really walloping my my party. So that was the first time I really think I got a, a real handle on what the battle system was about in uh, Monster Hunter Stories 2, and as we discussed, Monster Hunter Stories 2 does have a very satisfying battle system, so to have it click for me was really nice. Um, it wasn't exactly the most spectacular battle in the game, I just felt like that was the one I enjoyed the most because that was the one that made me realize, okay, I get, I have the hang of this, I'm gonna have a good time with this. So I broke off her tail and uh, gave her a bad day, and that was the end of her.
2: I. Remember, I I remember a little bit about that battle just because, you know, after 50 more hours into it past that, my memory is hazy. But I do remember very vividly that I had just upgraded my uh, hunting horn to something else and no longer had the negate statuses uh, song. (laughs) Whoops! And I greatly regretted, quote, upgrading my (laughs) hunting horn before fighting her because I was using a lot of uh, antidotes (laughs) during that fight because of the uh the signature back poisonous backflip with her tail
1: yeah yeah that hits really really hard and you do have like your party members do have items and they might use them and they might not they might decide i'm going to store up energy and for another shot instead of healing you with one hit point dying (laughs) over here so (laughs) it was a a really good learning experience just knowing what my party was going to act like and what i should act like in turn and I think I switched out my monster to uh, something that was more poison resistant, like a puke pukey, I think they're called. Yeah. I love them. They're so adorable. Mm-hmm. We're uh, especially like their finishing attack where they do venom surprise and they shield you with their tongues from That's the raining poison. It's really cute. So yeah, I had a good time with that battle.
0: I like the puke puke armor, which always looks like a little hood. I, yeah, so I
1: wore that. I wore that for quite a while because it does look really cool.
0: Reminds me of uh, the Moogle hood that Yuffie wears oh, yeah. in the yes. Final Fantasy VII <laughs> DLC. That's why I like exactly. it. Exactly. All right. That's the epic boss battle of the week of the Blood God. If you have an epic boss battle of the week of the Blood God that you want to share, you should send a letter, cat, at bloodgodpod.com. And that's it for this week's episode of Acts of the Blood God. Thank you so much to everybody for listening. As always, if you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on the podcatcher of your choice. And of course you can follow me on Twitter at the underscore
2: catbot. Nadia's Nadia is at Nadia Oxford and Casey, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at shiny KCD. <laughs> I like
0: that. Right on. And of course, subscribe to Nintendo voice chat, which I've been on a couple times and <laughs> I have had a really good time appearing on it. It's been a lot of fun over. Thank you so much, there. Kat. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. I can't wait to be back on all right and of course we have a patreon patreon.com slash blood pod and if you enjoy the podcast and you don't you use apple Podcasts. there's also a little subscribe button we'll get you access to all of our premium episodes including our pantheon of the blood god exploration some of the rings which should be coming up really soon we just did shin megami Tensei 3 nocturne that was a really excellent episode okay we'll be back next week as always to talk more about rpgs but until then for nadia casey myself thanks for listening happy adventure
1: For here am I sitting in a tin can.